0: Hi, welcome to episode 618 of the Fantastic Forecast. I'm Dave Elliott, and I feel like the leader of North Korea. The final countdown has begun. In every episode of the Fantastic Forecast, I'll be talking about a different issue of the Fantastic Four, starting with issue one and going all the way to issue 645. Today is the 618th issue of the Fantastic Four. It's Fantastic Four, Volume 5, Number 1 from April 2014, The Fall of the Fantastic Four, Part 1, by writer James Robinson and artist Leonard Kirk. And we start another new volume of the Fantastic Four. The final volume. Maybe. The last run of the Fantastic Four ever. Maybe. At least until volume six, whenever that may be. So after the bigger names of Matt Fraction and Jonathan Hickman have had their turn, they've turned the reins over to James Robinson, who seems to be one of those guys who's been around forever, writing comics, mostly for DC, with nothing particularly notable or successful I think the thing that he's probably most known for is a 1990s Elseworlds JSA story for DC called The Golden Age, which I thought was pretty decent. He did some work for Heroes Reborn Captain America. You know, there is something you'd want to take off your resume. He wrote something called Justice League Cry for Justice, which I remember as being uh, particularly reviled. And he wrote the screenplay for a movie, yes a real movie called The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. How the hell did he screw up that? The movie was so bad, it prompted Sean Connery to give up acting forever. So there you go. That's the career, in a, in a nutshell, the career of James Robinson. With such a resume of consistent mediocrity, I don't think anyone had any high hopes for Volume 5 of The Fantastic Four. He does bring with him artist Leonard Kirk, who has done some good work good work in the past Uh, I really like Agents of Atlas and the gone too soon Captain Britain and the MI-13 I mostly remember him as the artist on some Star Trek comics back in the 1990s which you know with a name like that that seemed like a perfect fit he's a solid artist I like him a pretty good deal so to start with oh there's already some wasted pages in this issue you would not believe it first of all the first page is just one page that tells you who the Fantastic Four are. There's four pictures of them. There's no story. There's really nothing except for their pictures. And it says, hey, hey, look, Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic. Sue Richards, Invisible Woman. Ben Grimm, The Thing. Johnny Storm, The Human Torch. That's it. And then, a few pages later, there's a two-page spread two pages, two whole pages with the credits no artwork at all none just two pages telling you the title of the story and the characters no artwork so basically it's three whole pages wasted on nothing ugh, such an incredible waste of space in a comic book that I assume was probably three or four dollars at the time so the first story page Is also a a full-page spread of Sue Richards sitting in the dark, writing in a diary. Yes, I'm not making that up. A full-page spread of Sue Richards sitting in the dark, writing in a diary. Jack Kirby would roll over in his grave. And uh, all she's writing in her diary is that she loves her kids and she's having a hard time grasping Everything that's happened. Already i have having a hard time grasping that this issue ever happened. And as always, you know in the last 20, 20 years, the new artists on the FF always have to give them new costumes. And if you've heard the phrase, saving the best for last, well, this is the opposite. They've saved the worst for last. These outfits are red. That's right, red. That is so wrong. It's like in the 1970s when Johnny was wearing that red outfit, which looked very weird. Now, they're all wearing red. Oh, they should always wear they should always wear blue. That's their color. I don't like it when they're wearing white, and I definitely don't like it when they're wearing red. Man, it just looks so bad. So in her diary, which she's addressing to her children, she writes that Reed is a broken shell of a man. She mostly loves him, but sometimes she despises him. Ben Graham, we see, is imprisoned for murder, sent there on the testimony of Reed Richards himself. Johnny is a lost soul, we see him drinking in a bar, surrounded by people, having a nice time. It doesn't look like a lost soul to me. And then we have Sue, who says that she's heartbroken by recent events and feels so alone. I'm already not liking the style of storytelling. We get a glimpse into the future. Now we have to go through all the motions of how- Getting there. Ugh. And then we go back to the very beginning, before all that. To the Fantastic Four, in New York City, fighting a bad guy. And it's a big bad guy, it's... Fin Fang Foom, the big dragon. Ooh, I do love me some Fin Fang Foom, but... Why is he here attacking New York City? There better be a good reason. Reed whips out a big gun, which he says was created to neutralize Fin Fang Foom, if he ever showed up. The rest of the team distracts the giant dragon while Reed calibrates the large gun. Sue's trying to hold him back with the force field, and she yells at Reed to hurry up. Reed shoots him, and to help with the oxygenating element that he just shot into Fin Fang Foom's system, Reed has Johnny blast the creature with flames. And now, with the dragon weakened, Reed tells Ben to take him down, and it's clobbering time as Ben socks him in the face and knocks him out. So later, S.H.I.E.L.D. has come along to scoop up Fin Fang Foom. I guess we don't get an explanation as to why Fin Fang Foom was in New York City in the first place and attacking it. And Nick Fury is there, the ultimate Nick Fury that looks like Samuel L. Jackson. Maybe they should explain that for us, readers who don't follow, you know anything else in the Marvel Universe as I do I think this is actually the real Nick Fury's son Nick Fury Jr yeah yeah whatever agent fury says they will probably have the dragon uh, picked up by an agency called sword or they'll send it to the Bronx Zoo so Reed is thinking the same thing I'm thinking is why did fin fang foom attack mindlessly for no reason later back at the Baxter building Sue's moping around, worried about her daughter, Valeria, who has left! Angry at Sue and Reed for keeping secrets, she's run off to live with Doctor Doom. What the hell? She's like, four or five years old. You know, I hate Valeria as much as the next guy, more than anybody really, and I'm glad to see her written out of the book, if that's the case, but it just sounds kind of weird that she just decides to go up and move in with Doctor Doom, can't they do something else like? kill her off or pull out some shit where it turns out she was never real but just a figment of their imagination or something. So while Valeria's gone, we see the other Fantastic Four kids, the Future Foundation kids, Bentley, the Moloids, the Fish Kids, the Wakandan girl, etc. They're still here! And the roughhousing in the living room, chasing after Bentley because he's invented a death ray. Did he invent that, or just find it under Reed's bed? Reed grabs Bentley and Franklin, while Sue tells everybody to calm down. Bentley explains that it's not really a death ray, in that it... What it does is that it turns healthy food, like spinach, into the less healthy chocolate. He says you could call it a death by chocolate ray. I'm not sure why we need a gun like that, since healthy food is so much more expensive than unhealthy food, and chocolate... I'm not sure who's buying this gun Dragon Man assures Sue that he will make sure that no lives are lost And that all cavities are found Is Dragon Man a dentist now too? I don't think I'd want his big purple fingers in my mouth Ugh. So the kids leave the room and Sue asks Reed You know what would cheer me up? He kisses her Oh, he knows She asks about Ben and Johnny She, has, she says she hasn't seen them all night Reed says they went out, Johnny to see his manager, and Ben was being a bit more cryptic when he said that he was checking in on an old friend. Why is that cryptic? I mean, if Ben says he's gonna go see an old friend, that's, you know, that's Alicia. It's like the only old friend he has. So next we see him in her studio. They talk about how Ben has been gone a long time, and Alicia mentions how they've broken up and gotten back together so many times. But really, have they? Is that true? I mean, they were definitely a couple from the early Lee Kirby issues through the 1960s and 70s into the early 80s, prior to Secret Wars, when John Byrne definitely, 100% had them break up. And then she was replaced by a scroll for 10 years. She came back, she didn't start dating Ben then, I think for a while she hung out with the Silver Surfer. I feel like there was a short period during the Hickman run where they actually went out on a few dates. Other than that, ever since she came back from the scrolls, she has not been in this book very much. And they've been pretty consistently an ex-couple. So I don't know why she's talking about them breaking up and getting back together so many times. That doesn't seem to be true. So anyway, here Ben is. He asks her if she'd like to get together again. And she replies, I'd like that. I always feel so bad for Alicia. I mean, she grew up with this history of physical and emotional abuse as a child, unable to have relationships with normal men, having cripplingly low self-esteem that makes her feel like the best that she deserves is a sexless rock monster with a hair-trigger temper and a dubious interest in women. Poor, poor Alicia. Next, we see Johnny meeting with his manager, He's gonna go back and try to be a rock star again. But he has to sign a tour contract that stipulates that he must stay on this world. No side trips to the Negative Zone, or the Multiverse. Heck, I don't think he's even allowed to go to Bed Bath & Beyond. This contract may be a bit problematic, but Johnny signs it anyway. So the day comes to an end, we see Sue and Reed snuggling up in bed. Alicia, sitting in Ben's lap, feeling up his face, That's about as erotic as they get. All the kids, covered in dirt and grime or food or something, they look very dirty. They're all sleeping, cuddled up together with Dragon Man. And then we see the gateway to the Negative Zone. Or some other dimension in an alternate world. But the gateway is locked. Sealed up. Sealed. Still sealed. And then, it's unsealed. The door flies open and a bunch of bug creatures stream into the Baxter building and out into the city of New York. And the narration by Sue, writing in her diary, calls this the day that marked the end of happiness, the end of hope. I think she's wrong about that. When it comes to the Fantastic Four, the day that marked the end of happiness, the end of hope, was the day that James Robinson was hired to write the Fantastic Four. So now it's time to find out what the future Foundation children are up to, over in the pages of FF Volume 3. But uh, There is no FF Volume 3. So anyway, coming in the next issue with the Fantastic Four, will the creatures from the another dimension rain havoc down on the people of New York City? Most likely. Will the people of New York blame the Fantastic Four for putting their city in danger? Again, they should. During the invasion, will other New York-based superheroes show up to help? Most likely. Will this group include Moon Knight? Don't count on it. And with that, I've got 17 more issues to go. If you have any questions about the Fantastic Four, about this podcast, or if you need relationship advice, you can email me at podcastff at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter, Dave Elliott at podcastff. And you can download other episodes of iTunes and find them all at www.podcastff.podbean.com. So long, kids. This podcast is over.